Well, let me invite you to turn with me this evening to Exodus chapter 2. As Callum said, we're taking a break from our series in Genesis and jumping to the book just after it, Exodus, a book that is all about God revealing himself to his people. And so we trust tonight that as we read together and hear God speak through Callum in the sermon, that God might reveal himself to each of us tonight. So Exodus chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young woman walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Amen. We conclude our reading there. Well, as we, as we come to God's word, we know that we can't understand it in our own strength or in our own human wisdom. And so let's come now and pray to our God, our triune God, asking for his help. Father, we thank you that as we read your word, you're speaking to us and you're changing us. We thank you that not only do we read the Bible, but the Bible reads us and it exposes our sin and our need for a savior. And we pray tonight that as we come to Exodus 2 that you would bring us ultimately to your son by the power of your spirit. For your glory we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure if you've been watching the news in the last few weeks, you'll know that our world, as it, as it often is, is in a mess. I mean, think about it, we're only two months into 2023, and the good feelings of a, a new year have long been forgotten. We, we've tragically seen the, the earthquake in Turkey and Syria. We've now passed a year of conflict between Ukraine and Russia. Closer to home, we've seen protests and strikes and disagreements. And we've seen tragedies in our own land that reopen wounds from the past. 
And as surely as we think about what's gone on in only two months in 2023, surely we have to ask the question, where is God? Where is God? Sometimes I think we maybe shy away from that question, but as we think about the terrible events that are going on in our world, we have to consider, where is God? What's he doing? And you see, that, that's the same question that the Israelites would have been asking if we had turned our Bibles to the book of Exodus. Because at the end of Exodus chapter 1, we see terrible events going on in Egypt. And the people of Israel would have thought, where is our God? Where is the God who's promised to be with us and bless us? Well, tonight as we explore this passage in Exodus 2, we're going to see that our God is firmly in control. As he's always been, he's firmly in control. He's in the midst of his people, and he's working for his glory and their good. Let's have a look at this passage together. We have a few points as we, we travel through. And the first point we're going to see this evening is that as evil prospers, God is still in control. As evil prospers, God is still in control. Look down with me, please, to the end of Exodus chapter 1. And we see that Pharaoh, the ruler of all Egypt, he's commanded that all Hebrew boys be drowned in the Nile. So terrible things we see going on in Egypt. Pharaoh saw Israel prospering, doing the things that God commanded them to do in Genesis, as we've been, as we've been thinking about. And he doesn't like it. And so he commands that these Hebrew boys be put to death. So, so chapter one ends with a, this kind of bird's eye view as we look down and see the events that are going on. And then notice that at the start of chapter two, if you look down in your Bibles, the scene changes. The camera zooms in on one couple in the house of Levi and the birth of their Hebrew son. Now normally this is a moment of celebration isn't it? I mean, the birth of a child brings great joy with the, uh, for a family. Lots of parties and little tiny outfits and lots of Instagram posts and pictures and, and WhatsApp groups. The birth of a child is meant to bring us great joy. But as we look here in this passage, there is no joy in this scene because the baby was a Hebrew boy. And so there's an immediate threat to his life. So the scene here as this child is born is not one of rejoicing and celebration. It's actually one of great fear and panic. There's great concern for this baby boy. But notice in verse 2, we're given this interesting detail that the mother saw that this baby was a fine child. Not that he was a handsome baby or, or, or a beautiful baby, but that he was good or godly. It's the same word in, used in Genesis 1 to describe God's creation. God saw that his creation was good. And so what the author's showing us here, that in all these terrible events that are going on, there's something good, something godly that's going to be brought out of this, these terrible circumstances. There's someone good, someone godly that's gonna come from all of this mess. 
This baby, right from the beginning, is chosen by God for a particular purpose. And then notice that the, the actions that this mother takes, she places the child in a, a basket. That's what we have in our translations. Again, it's not the best translation. The word here is more, um, the Hebrew word here is an ark or a boat, and it's only used in one other occasion in the Old Testament, and that's in the account of Noah. As the waters came upon the earth, Noah and his family saved through the, the boat, the little the, the ark, as, as God saved them from the flood. And in the same way, this child travels through a, a much, much smaller boat, a little ark, as God protects him through the water. So we see, don't, don't we, that even in these terrible events, God is firmly in control. He's not distant. You know, think of our own lives. It can be easy to, when we think, look, look through 2023 so far, can be tempted to think that God is distant or that he's far away. Well, turn please to just the next chapter in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7. Here God is, is speaking to Moses. And you see what our God says in verse 7? He hears the cries of his people. Is he far away? Is he distant? No, he's amongst his people. He hears their cries. And he works for their good and for his glory. This should encourage us in our world that our God works for the good of his people. When we pray, when we cry out to him, he listens and he works for the good of his people. Even in the terrible things going on in Egypt, our God is still firmly in control. And we gotta remember that still today. Our God is always, always firmly in control. That's our, our first point that we see. The, the second point we see is that such is God's control that his enemies serve his plans. Such is God's control that his enemies serve his plans. And we see that if you look down at verse 5. The, this little basket, this little boat travels among the reeds. And who finds the child? The daughter of Pharaoh. Now, as we read verse 5, we should be saying, hang on a minute. There should be some serious alarm bells going on in our heads. Think of all the people that could have found this child. Not merely an Egyptian, but the very daughter of Pharaoh. The very daughter of the one orchestrating all of these terrible events in Egypt finds this baby boy. Surely if anyone was going to obey Pharaoh's decree, surely it would be his very own daughter. She's probably the last person other than Pharaoh that we'd want to find this child. But no. Isn't it so ironic that the very one who should have honored her father's decree and put this boy to death was the very one God used to spare his life? Notice in verse 6. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. So there's no mistaken identity here. 
She knows fine rightly that this child is a Hebrew boy, and yet she has compassion and spares his life. We see that our God works. He uses even the enemies of his people to serve his plans, such as his control. And our God has a sense of humor. How do we know that? Well, we see if you look at verse 9 and 10. Because not only is the child rescued, but he's then given back into the hands of who? His Hebrew mother. And then not only does she get to nurse her little, her, her, her little boy, but she gets paid to nurse him. You'll see that if you look down at verse 9. She gets paid to nurse her very own son. So the early months of this boy's life spent in the love and care of his own mother. Bedtime stories, changing nappies, sleeping all day and being up all night, all done in the safety of a Hebrew home. The first months of this child's life spent in the hands of his mother as she taught him about his covenant-keeping God, the God of Israel, who is firmly, firmly in control. Such control that his enemies even serve his plans. Read with me then as well, verse 10. This is the, it's only in verse 10 we actually get the name of this, of this boy, this child. She names him Moses because she says, I drew him out of the water. Pharaoh's daughter is looking back to verse six. She's looking back to that time when the little, the little boat came among the reeds and she took it out of the water. In her eyes, he's named for what happens in the past. But if any of you will know the story of Moses, what's one of the, the most famous events in the book of Exodus? It's when God uses Moses to draw Israel out of the water. When God used Moses to draw his people out of the sea, out of the, the, the Red Sea or the Lake of Reeds, into safety. So Pharaoh's daughter, she, she names him, or uh, names Moses for what's happened in the past. She drew him out of the water. And yet actually by faith we see his name is pointing well beyond that to when he's going to draw God's people out of the water to safety and blessing. Can you see the sovereign hand of our God? He's not panicked. He's not surprised by the actions of his enemies. In fact, he, he makes a fool out of them, doesn't he? Even by how the child is named. And I think it's, it's so important that we know that our God is in control, particularly at the minute, with this constant discussion of, of protocols and the, name for, uh, the need for good leadership in our country. But actually we see that even when we live under poor leadership, that shouldn't cause God's people too much distress because he's in control. We don't have to worry about what's going to await us in our land or us as God's people because he's in control. He's not surprised. He looks upon the world with a degree of humor because even his enemies serve as plans. What does this mean for us? 
this evening in Rich Hill. Well, this takes us to our, our third and final point. As evil prospers, trust the plans and purposes of God. And we see this, if you please turn with me to, to Ma- the book of Matthew, Matthew's gospel, and Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 13. Jesus has recently been born in Bethlehem, but there's a problem. There's a threat to his life. Let's read it together. Chapter 2, verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? A Hebrew baby is born, and we have two frightened parents. Two parents fearing for the safety of their child because a vicious ruler is trying to kill him. Sounds very like Exodus 2, doesn't it? The geography is slightly different. They have to flee to Egypt for a period of time. But the stakes are are high in both stories. Both Hebrew boys, their lives are under threat at the hands of a ruthless king. See, Matthew 2 sounds a lot like a, a rerun of Exodus. We have a tyrannical ruler who works to, to kill infant boys. But just like in Exodus, God works to protect his chosen deliverer. This time it's not Moses, but it's his very own son. Fully God, and yet still a child, and so very vulnerable to attack. And yet, just like in Egypt, the terrible things going on in Israel were not going to stop the plans of our God. God works so that the life of his son could play out in an even greater way than that of Moses. Think about Moses, protected as a child, grew up to lead his people through the water to new life and knowing God. Jesus comes to set his people free from slavery, not to Pharaoh, but to sin, so that we may be spared from the lake, the lake of fire, God works, always works, his plans for his glory and for the good of his people. We gather here tonight in Rich Hill, and we don't have a Pharaoh, we don't have a Herod, we don't have one leader that we can can pin these kind of attacks on, but we do live in a society that attacks God's word subtly. Think, Think about it. We live in a society that promotes acceptance and tolerance and diversity. We live in a society that promotes being inclusive. We accept everyone. And yet, that same society aborts unborn children. Claiming to be, claiming to be inclusive, accepting of everyone, very, very tolerant, and yet actually very, very exclusive. 
We live in a, in a time where all of our beliefs are to be celebrated. All our opinions are to be celebrated. And yet, if we have any opinions that hold to God's word, well, then we're, we, we have a, people have a problem with us, don't they? We don't have a Pharaoh or a Herod, but we, in subtle ways, society attacks God's word. Think of even the, the events we've had recently in Northern Ireland. And their response on the news often is, oh, we need to educate one another. We need to educate our children in, in what has happened in the past, and that will lead to peace in the future. Now, our country needs the peace of the God of Israel. It needs the peace that can only be found in Jesus Christ because outside of him, there is no peace. There's only chaos. There's only brokenness. The enemies of God's people in Exodus and in Matthew are, are really obvious. Perhaps they're not so obvious in our day, but we are under attack. And we don't have to take our children and hide them for three months, but we do have to make sure that our children, their faith is protected in the home as they come to church, as they're taught, educated in God's word. God is always working. He's always firmly in control. And that should give us great confidence as we live. But we have to live knowing that we're under attack. Where is God? That's the question we started with this evening. We've only had, what, two months of 2023? 5th of March today, I think. I think. <laughs> Where is God? That's the question that people of Israel were asking as well as we get to Exodus chapter 2. All of this um, chaos happening in Egypt. Where is our God? Where's the God of Israel? He's where he's always been, firmly in control among his people, working for their good and for his glory. And we see in Exodus, he provides a deliverer. And in Matthew's gospel, we see that he provides his very own son who would grow up to save his people, not from Pharaoh, but from slavery to sin. A baby that would crush his enemies once and for all in his death and resurrection a baby that came that his enemies might be swallowed up and thrown into the lake of fire. This passage is great news for us in our day. When we're under attack in our workplaces or corporately as a church, we need to know that our God is where he's always been, firmly in control among his people and working all things for his glory and for our good. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word to us this evening. Thank you for reminding us that you are firmly in control over our world. You're firmly in control over our lives. Thank you for protecting our Savior as a child so that one day he might grow up and lead his people out of slavery to sin. Thank you that in every page, Lord, as we've seen tonight, Exodus 
And every passage in the Bible is about Jesus. And we pray this week, for all that we say and do, we would have great confidence in your word. We think of tomorrow as we wake up, as we watch the news, as we go to work, as we meet our neighbor, as we encounter hardship in your name. Would you help us to know that you're firmly in control over all things? Even your enemies serve your plans. And that means we have great reason to praise you, to trust you, and to have great confidence in your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.